Hello and welcome to the Bang to Rights podcast. My name is Pete Murray. I'm a lecturer in multimedia journalism here at Manchester Metropolitan Uni. And the podcast comes this afternoon from the uh, journalism newsroom where we've been doing a whole lot of election planning and we have our first ever live audience. Thanks very much. We'll be coming to the, the students. These are all journalism students and actually some other students from other faculties as well who are working um, with, with Natalie, who's here from the R magazine. So we might come to you at some point as well. Just an early warning for that. Um, but uh, I'm also joined, uh, by my, as usual, by my colleague Dave Porter. Uh, hi, Pete. And uh, we've got a special guest with us as well, um, Johnny Rodwell, who's a specialist in politics and international relations here. Hello, thank you for having me. It's great. You're very, very welcome. And we also have, um, partly on the roving mic, but also partly to explain what's going to be going on on election night, Liz Hannaford, also from the journalism department. Hi, Hi Liz. Hi, Pete. Hi. So we wanted to start off, this is going to be a kind of open session, so hopefully we're going to hear quite a bit from the students themselves about about their questions and hopefully Dave and Johnny and Liz and I will be able to answer some of them um, but just to start things off Dave we've been we've been in here doing some election planning because we're going to be covering the election on the night so tell us a little bit about what what we've been discussing here well we've been recruiting effectively um, recruiting students uh, undergrads and postgrads and in fact some of Natalie's uh, writers from our magazine and um, to produce what we hope will be comprehensive coverage on the night. We'll be doing a live blog, which Liz will talk about. Um, I'm going to the election count in Oldham. We've got people covering for Sky News. Um, we'll also be here. We'll have a base here at MMU, Marmette. Um, we'll be here all night, literally till five or six in the morning. Um, we'll be doing a live blog and just doing all these, you know, enabling students to really get the teeth into political reporting, uh, what is going to be a really important election. Yeah. Liz, tell us a little bit in a bit more detail then about what, what, what can people, if they're looking at Northern Quarter, what can they expect to see on the night? Well, the main thing that we'll be doing is setting up a live blog. So that will be um, up to the minute updates on what's happening, not just here in Manchester, but we'll be taking a wider look at what's happening around the country as well. So we'll be bringing in the material that our reporters at the different counts will be sending us. So they'll be sending us images, interviews, videos, little anecdotal snippets as we're coming up to the actual um, announcements of the results and we'll be putting in our, our own commentary on what we're seeing when we get um, information about the turnouts and things like that. So producing that, so that should be quite quite lively. We'll be busy in the newsroom. We're going to decamp to the, the library here because that's the only building that's open 24-7. So they'll be very happy to accommodate us. So we'll be there. And uh, obviously, once the counts start, start coming in, we'll be busy trying to, trying to keep on top of those give a bit of context as well, rather than, than just the numbers. And we'll also find time to, to do a bit of the, the technical stuff, producing some, some maps which show how, how things have changed, um, turnout, that kind of thing around the night. So there should be, should be quite a lot, lot going on. Okay. Uh, Johnny, some of our students, some, some people listening might mm. be reacting to this like Brenda from Bristol. Oh, no, not another yeah. one. Yeah. But... How important do you think this election is on, on a kind of ranking? As, as significant as 2017? More so than 2010? Where, where are we I on think the scale? It's, I think it's more significant than 2017 because 2017 is a symptom of what this election will demonstrate. It isn't actually the cause of this election. In politics, generally, generally consensus is 10 to last 30, 40 years. You get these chunks of kind of a political consensus. And I think we are reaching the point where the... the 
the current consensus, the broadly Thatcherite neoliberal consensus, is under great strain. And in Britain, if it doesn't it doesn't stop at this election. This will be the last election of that that kind of period. So that's why it's so important. We're either going to see what's coming next or what's coming next is going to happen now. That's it's, I think it's as big as 79 in Britain, actually. So it's, it's a big generational change I think then, so, yes. Yeah. I, th- I think this is that moment. If not in this election, then certainly by the next one, which this election will start the process to, it's that, it's that big a deal, yes. And... What I mean, I'm not going to ask you for predictions because who would who would get into that game at this stage? But what do you think are the, the kind of main tensions that people could be looking out for? Next I month? think I think the assumption that constituencies that voted Leave will follow the same pattern in the election is a very weak assumption, and I think that's one of the things to start looking at: is do not assume just because constituency voted Leave that it will follow that same pattern in the election itself. This is still the British electoral system with first past the post and the traditional kind of parties. I think the other thing to look at as well is what happens in Scotland will be quite important because the next the next government, if we do have a government, we don't have hung parliament, I'm assuming here, does have to deal with that problem next as well. That's what I mean about the start of the next stage of political consensus. So so things like Scotland, Wales and and Northern Ireland become really important issues. As we can see now, the current Tory party can't survive on the coalition that it hasn't really got anyway. Um, So that becomes a thing. So will there be deals made about future politics around how to get support within Parliament for your your coalition, if that's yeah, what it is. Yeah. You know? I mean, that's, we've, we've already seen a foretaste of that with yeah. the, the SNP when they exactly. made their started their campaign. They said, yeah. we'll be happy to go into a deal with Jeremy Corbyn so long as Precisely, he gives yeah, us yeah, a pointing yeah. towards yeah. A, a Indy Ref 2. Yeah. And now we're recording this uh, in the middle of the afternoon on, on Wednesday. Jeremy Corbyn, a couple of hours ago, said there won't be a, an independence referendum mm. in the lifetime of the first uh, first first part of a, of a Labour government, which yeah. seems to, well, it's thrown a bit of a spanner into the works about getting a smooth coalition with the, yeah, with the SNP. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Okay, well, we'll look into we'll look at some of those issues in a little bit more detail. But um, let's get let's turn over to the students now. Who's got uh, who's got some questions coming up? Who wants to start? And can I get you to introduce yourself? I know who you are, but can you yes. tell us who you are? So my name is Isaac, and I'm a student here um, at MMU. Um, so Vote Leave were found to have committed electoral law offences during the EU referendum. Um, those in charge of Vote Leave are now at the top of government, including political advisers who have been held in contempt of parliament. Um, you've also got the sort of um, Russian report that's being sort of held by the government, and you've got Facebook um, allowing political lies in its advertising. Do you think um, political laws are sort of strong enough to defend democracy? Um, and are we going to have a fair election? Johnny. Okay, uh, well, in terms of are political laws strong enough, political laws are only as strong as the politicians who apply those political laws. And you asked the question the right way, which is elements of the Vote, Lang- uh, vote Leave campaign were, were, did commit illegal acts, and some of them involved in government. Um, that's the responsibility of government to explain why it is still retaining the support of those people. But also the press has a responsibility here as well, because it's, it's quite often, for example, you can see, I think it was something that Fiona Bruce said on Newsnight, somebody one, uh, on Question Time, sorry, one of the Question Time questioners said they committed illegal, illegal acts, and Fiona Bruce corrected that person. The person was right, Fiona Bruce was wrong. So the press has a responsibility to actually reporting what has actually happened here, which was convictions and fines and etc etc does that mean it's a a fair election or not uh at some level 
know an election is not fair if people are breaking election rules. The problem with saying the election is not fair at some level is then you get into the complex question, well, are you saying that people don't know what they're thinking about when they're voting and therefore the rules define what they should think? And that becomes a much kind of trickier thing. Um, but there are dangerous moments, I think you could see it on the other side of the Atlantic as well, where we were becoming quite blasé about some of these rules and regulations and the consequences of becoming blasé about them are quite dangerous, I think. Dave, Dave, you got any thoughts about that? About, I mean, we talked last week about um, the TV advertising uh -huh. and, uh, and not TV advertising, beg pardon, the way that the TV covers um, elections and that they're governed by Ofcom and there are quite strict rules about all of that. Mm. And yet we've got this wild west of social media advertising well, that isn't regulated yeah. and isn't going to be regulated for some time to come. There's no prospect of I it at the, the moment. the combination there? of the wild west social media and the 24-hour Someone's already so. walked out. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> that's a Nigel Farage. Yeah. And, uh, yeah, there was a good piece this week, actually, by Roy Greenstreet about um, broadcast journalists becoming, straying off a pitch, in a way, and using social media to report every minutiae and every bit of gossip and every before analysis or factual checking took place. And sort of have mentioned the best Rigby tweet and whether they were straying into comment, whether they were... Uh, and by the very nature of trying to be first, trying to get the news out, well, news in to commas, you know, um, to old phrase about reporting politics from inside the horse. Uh, and it, that just intensifies the process. I think actually for broadcast journalists, because they have been so hidebound by rules, suddenly to be able to step outside the usual broadcast rules and use... Um, an unregulated medium. It must be man from heaven. Yeah. So that temptation is going to happen. Uh, I kind of agree with Johnny in that we've got a bit like juries. You've got to accept that uh, they're strong enough to withstand maybe outside interference. Uh, and of course, it's a tipping point. Who, when we reach that, who knows? Yeah. As regards the, I'll, I'll come back to you in just a moment, Isaac. But you mentioned the the the, the report on Russian interference, which the government has decided uh, not to publish. Um, so it's now been now been buried. There have been a couple of interesting insights into into some of that. I mean, to be honest, it's speculative, speculative <laughs> mostly. But the uh, the the Guardian today in Focus podcast last week, I think they spoke to Luke Harding, um, who's been covering. Uh, Russian politics in Moscow for a long, long time, and he talked about his what he thinks might be in the report. So that was that was quite insightful and also potentially quite damaging because to the Conservative Party because he mentioned uh, Dominic Cummings and his kind of previous in uh, when he worked in Russia for a couple of years back. But you were going to you were going to come back to me on on something else. So um, yeah, there's obviously restrictions on what um, broadcasters can publish on the day of the election. Um, and there's a video in which Dominic Cummings, who is um, prominent in the Leave um, and is obviously the special advisor to Boris Johnson, um, he gave a talk, um, and you can find it on YouTube. And he basically he says that uh, right until the very last minute, they kept all their budget for their advertising. And then at the very last minute, they spent, I think, £4 million on um, targeting at people who were um, they hadn't made their mind up yet. So that kind of has that influenced the vote in some way and it could that happen again this time and there's there's nothing there's nothing to stop it there's no laws that can prevent that happening again so you sort of in a position where facebook advertising could really dictate this election at the last minute and no one can do anything to stop it the feeling i get i'll, I'll come to you in a moment johnny the feeling i get is that um facebook certainly was highly influential in the in the referendum 
um, in 2016 and also during the, the election campaign in 2017. But it looks like actually potentially Instagram might be a more significant platform this time around. A lot of people, the conserv- both the Conservatives and the Labour Party are sharing a lot of material that may have turned up on, Insta- on, on Twitter and they're putting it onto, onto Instagram because it costs them nothing. And that's becoming much more of a distribution platform. And so people are, are recycling stuff on Instagram because it's free. And it's also tipping into that more kind of organic method of sharing stuff that, that the, the pollsters, really, or rather the, 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 the media people really, really like, that if, you, if, if there's organic shares rather than paid-for shares, that's, that's what people are looking for, where people are just passing stuff around, around their own friends and, and people on their own, uh, their own timeline. Uh, yeah, I, in, in some extent, this is where slightly outside of my expertise, but it also is. I just don't think we've got a handle on the consequences of social media and the way it spreads information, the way it spreads political information. And I think I know, I know someone who Goldsmith who had this lovely line. It sounds a bit dramatic. It's a bit over dramatic, but it works quite well for exception. This is said: if we have a major crisis, like a major war, something major, and after World War Two, we regulated and we banned certain things, and his vote would be for banning Facebook. Because no one has actually got their head around what the consequences have been for society and information. And we're living through it. And you don't know what the consequences are until afterwards sometimes. So I do agree that those kind of concerns about what the effects of something have, maybe it's Instagram in this case, I think are perfectly legitimate concerns because we haven't stepped back and been able to study this and see what has actually happened. I think that, that is definitely a live issue and it is a concern. I've seen it I, when I voted first time was in the first new Labour election and I wasn't basing anything on the social media. I didn't even have a social media account and, and it's a radical different world now, I think. Yeah. 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 Is it the well, case to think that technology is moving quicker than politics and that, that basically politics and, and journalism can't keep up with it? Yes. Yes, I'd agree. I'd agree. Yes. Yes. Yeah. I mean, the the politicians on the Digital Media, Culture and Sport Committee did try to tackle this, mm. and they just kind of ran out of road, really, because we're we're now in an election, and so the, the committee was closed down. They 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 have issued a report on online harms, which the government has taken up and put into a white paper, but it's never made it onto the statute books. Again, the, the, we've run out of road, really, and so it'll be up to the next government, who whoever they are. To, to pick that up and, and maybe try and deal with it. There certainly seems to be an awful lot of pressure from politicians, not just here, but the, the, there's models in France and Germany and elsewhere in the EU where the um, governments are trying to police this. Um, but I remember an old phrase from um, media consultants and stuff who said, and, and advertisers said, if you try to take on Facebook, you'll lose. Mm. So who knows? Who knows? The EU has tried to take on Facebook and has fined them very, very heavily. And it seems to have had some impact, but we don't really know because we don't know the algorithm. None of us outside of Facebook understands why they're sharing one political ad rather than another. I think, sorry, to, to, one, th- one thing I think is an interesting parallel, it doesn't sound like an interesting parallel, but I think it is an interesting parallel, is during the time of the financial crisis in 2007-2008, one of the failures of regulation of these financial institutions is the systems these institutions were using, nobody understood them. They brought in people from NASA that used to work on rocket propulsion, they came in and did these computer programs that were working out the algorithms that told you whether your, your debts were good, and the inspectors just didn't understand it. And that's why they never got regulated, because they didn't know where to start. And I think we have a similar phenomenon, possibly, with some of the nature of social media and ownership and all that kind of stuff. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Fascinating stuff. I think we could probably talk about this all afternoon, but let's try and move on to, to something else. We had a question about um, EU citizens and their right to vote. Do you want to tell us who you are first? Hi, my name is Camilla. I'm a MMU multimedia 
journalism student and I come from Slovakia. So I'm an EU citizen. And I wanted to ask because I recently received a letter from a British government inviting me to vote, which I, I was very happy about. But then I looked into it and I found out that I actually cannot vote because um, I can only vote in local and European Parliament elections. And I know that a lot of my friends that are EU students as well received similar letters and were confused as well. So I just wanted to ask how it is. Can we vote or we can't? And I think if we could, it would probably influence the results a lot because none of us really want Brexit. So, <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I mean, there was there was the chance of a brief debate, I think, because there was there was one of the amendments to to the the bill um, as it was going through in the last week of, of the House of Commons um, to bring the the voting age down to sixteen and also to to allow EU citizens to vote, but that was that wasn't um, it wasn't passed by by Parliament, so that's that opportunity is lost. I mean, I know it's a very it's a big problem. My my brother-in-law's from the Netherlands. He's lived in the UK since ooh, I think the 1980s, and he's been massively frustrated. He's not been allowed to vote in in almost anything, even though these things are. He lives in a marginal constituency, and he's always been he's always really wanted to vote, and he's never been able to, even though he's lived in the UK for for 30 years or more. Johnny, what what do you make of of uh, that experience there? I think I, I mean I'm intrigued to know why you would have got these letters because it's never been possible. You've got to be a British citizen, age, age, age 18 or over. It's fairly straightforward. So what's going on there to mean that you get those letters, and what's going on with trying to get young people to vote is, is an interesting thing. Uh, the only thing I've got as, 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 as possible analogy of the frustrations is my colleague it has British and American citizenship. She's got both passports, and she votes in the British elections, and she doesn't vote in American ones. Uh, even though she's from the United States, but yeah, so you can't. But why you've got that letter is is an interesting question, and maybe worth digging into a bit. Actually, it's story. Yeah, it's, it's a good story that I think. Yeah. Yep. So we have a story. Good, yeah. good, good stuff. So, so uh, anyone got any other questions? Yeah, yeah. Uh, you're right. My name's uh, Callum. I'm a multimedia journalism student. Um, one question I've got about is uh, yesterday when Jeremy Corbyn uh, announced his support for McDonald's workers in the fifteen pound an hour. Um, we saw a lot of uh, working class people going against each other on Twitter. Um, people who've got apprenticeships saying, oh, I deserve more pay if they're getting paid that, calling them burger flippers and stuff like that. Um, working class nurses complaining that they don't get enough pay and that Labour should be supporting them. Um, in, often in elections we see working class people be pitted against each other. Um, has this always been the case? Why is this? Is there such a thing as false class consciousness uh, in British society? Quick answer is yes, it's always been the case. Uh, class interests, especially working class interests, have always been pitted against each other in order to divide them. This is one of the stories of Thatcherism, one of the great insights from, from, from a brilliant writer called Stuart Hall, was that what we had understood is why key elements of the working class voted for Thatcher. They didn't vote against what seemed to be their economic... You know, that was a question. So there's always been a division there. And what this has been... This, has been, this tension has been, been pulled by Brexit as well because there's a divide between different conceptions of what are the class interests if you're working class. Is your interest against a European Union which sometimes undermines working class interests because it supports austerity programmes at some level? Or is your interest with the European Union because it supports workers' rights and, and that kind of stuff? Uh, in terms of your question about, about Labour policy, I think that's a slight mistake that no government is going to propose a policy that covers every person who could be covered by this policy. You're looking for a simple catch-all phrase and McDonald's burger flippers actually 
to Labour matches the idea that people are not getting paid. What's right? They do not mean it doesn't mean nurses and it doesn't mean who else, but this is the way things get reported in this very simple kind of notion. But yes, class division and being driven by politicians and finding a lever, that is the very element in part of Brexit at some level, I think. Um, Dave, one of the things we're here to do is to look at coverage of the election. Um, are, are some of the, the mainstream media kind of guilty of falling into that trap of like stereotyping people or, or imagining that working class voters are just an, a homogenous bunch or middle so. class yeah. voters are another homogenous bunch and we can decide how we, we know how they're going to vote? I think the Huntsman, is it Workington Man? Um, yes. This, this yeah. idea that there's, um, I mean, I was watching Channel 4 last night and there was somebody in, um, where was it, Bishop Auckland, uh, going out on the, onto the street, interviewing people, and really the surprise was, gosh, you know, you're voting Brexit, you're Labour supporter, you voted it all your life, it would seem to be a natural alliance, and um, I suppose the story would be the surprise, but actually, it's not a surprise, and maybe the kind of, um, it's lazy thinking by journalists who are not interrogating uh, what's been happening over the past four or five years and how the political landscape has changed. And, you know, we still think, as Johnny said, um, in maybe in terms of the kind of left-right divisions, and we still, where our mentality as media is maybe trapped in the first passport system. Um, I think a large part of the media have just failed to um, get what is quite a complex argument, actually, about why, you know, I'm not saying this for any particular reason, but why people in Sunderland, who you might think would have benefited from EU, why they're voting against it in large numbers, and, uh, you know, meant to be quite good at analysis, but actually um, we've been kind of stymied by that. So, yes, we've missed the boat, I think. Okay, okay. Any, any more questions? Um, who's, yeah, here we go. Hi, my name's Ben. I'm a student at MMU um, and editorial assistant of our magazine. I wanted to ask, uh, do you think the way we vote in elections or how parties are elected uh, first past the post is set to change anytime soon, given the controversy uh, in UK democracy following Brexit? Johnny, uh, what do no, you reckon? No, in short, <laughs> because most of our parties gain their positions from first past the post. You know, that, that's especially the mainstream parties, Labour and the Conservatives, the system is designed to support one party. We've not had it in, in re last elections, but generally we get a majority party and that supports the main parties. So I don't think there's a great constituency there within politicians to actually support a change of the system. Um, so the quick answer is no, I'm afraid. Um, what do you, Ben, do you think the, the, the system should change? Um, yeah. So, sorry, Liz is running around the room with the mic. Yeah, well, there's um, an increased amount of countries that have um, voting online, which I think is um, kind of a fairer democracy uh, in itself by allowing more people to vote, because a problem that has been coming up in the news recently in this country is that there are large numbers of the population who are either not registered to vote or can't vote for certain reasons or aren't even obliged to vote because it's not a process that's made easy. And I think that a lot of parties would find their... Uh, voters either decrease or increase if we allowed more people to have uh, a way of voting that's easier for them. Good, okay. Can we have a bit of a show of hands? Because um, you'll, you'll know that I'm not, not, I'm not from round here originally. I'm from Scotland and was in Scotland in 2014 during the referendum, independence referendum there, and 16-year-olds had the right to vote then. Mm. Do, can we get a show of hands? Who would like the voting age to be cut to 16? And who would say it's fine as it is? That's interesting. That's pretty much half and half. 
Um, one of the reasons that the 16-year-old vote of the independence referendum was opposed, people said, oh, folk will just do what their parents tell them. And in fact, some research which I looked at uh, from the University of Edinburgh found that peer influences were much, much more important than parents or big brothers or big sisters or anything like that. Um, so, yeah, that... I think, Johnny, do you think is that change more likely to happen than proportional representation? Yes, I think that's probably more likely. Do you think that one, think, that one's in the post, maybe? Yeah, you mentioned it earlier in the podcast about there was some discussion when the rules of the election were being established. There was a brief moment to discuss it. Yeah. It was very brief, but the momentum is building there, I think, Yeah. Okay. the age of the franchise. Um, a reminder, you're listening to To Bang To Rights from MMU Journalism Department. If you've got a view on that, if you want to tell us whether you think the voting age should be cut to 16 or whether it should stay where it is, let us know at RightsBang. Or if you've got any questions, we can and hopefully try and follow them up. Um, but contact us on Twitter if, if you've got um, any questions for, for us and I can pass them on to, to Johnny by email and maybe get an answer to them or from Dave or, or from Liz. Any, any more questions from, from anybody? Yeah, we've got uh, one over here. Okay. Uh, hi, I'm Ben. I'm a student here at Manchester Met. Um, most elections are defined by sort of one issue. So in 2015, it was a lot about the potential referendum was going to come up. Will this election be basically a retread of the referendum all over again? Johnny, what do you think? I am not that convinced, actually. I think this, the, I have a slightly complex answer, so I apologise if this isn't, isn't nice and neat. There's, there's two things there. There's my political scientist kind of head there and my kind of issues sort of person there. Um, I mean, this remains the British electoral system in which constituencies have quite a traditional position. You know, there will be constituencies that will vote Labour because they've traditionally voted Labour, and there will be constituencies that will vote Conservatives because they've traditionally done so. Big majority constituencies, and Brexit isn't going to shift that. One of the mistakes that's making of think, uh, being made when you think this is a, a Brexit election is what in political science we'll call the ecological fallacy. And this is that you take a group of people and they vote or they choose one thing at one time does not mean they're going to choose the same thing the next time because you're going to have a different group of people. So if you have a constituency that's majority Labour and that constituency voted Brexit, it does not mean that in a general election they're going to vote for the party that supports Brexit because there are different issues and there are different people who are going to vote. Because, of course, in the Brexit election, 100% of the population didn't vote and 100% of the constituencies didn't vote. So I, as I sit here now, I don't think this is entirely a Brexit election, the questions of health service, the question of political economy, society, those are still just as valid as Brexit, I think. But nonetheless, the TV debates, the big thing that the leaders are going to talk about is going to be Brexit, and it is a, a tension beneath it. But it's not a single-issue election, and you very, very find that in British elections, I think. Callum, you had a, another question for us. Um, yesterday, the uh, MI6 chief said that um, we're at the most dangerous point uh, that we've been since the Cold War in terms of security uh, and, and the planet itself. Um, the doomsday clock's currently at two minutes to midnight. Um, do you think parties should be talking more about the two biggest threats that face our planet in uh, environment, uh, climate change, sorry, and uh, nuclear warfare? Um, I think climate change, if, if British political parties don't put climate change as central to this election, they are um, not undertaking their responsibilities as British political parties. I think that was an unquestionable problem. That's an existential crisis. I don't accept the idea that nuclear warfare is a problem, actually. I think that's a misunderstanding of the way uh, nuclear weapons are used and the determined nature of nuclear weapons. I think that is a problem for the Labour Party because I don't think we've educated people to understand the role of nuclear weapons in states. Mm -hmm. Um, so one half, yes, climate change is such a major crisis, it should be central to what we're talking about in this election. It's actually far more important than Brexit when we think of the future. Nuclear weapons isn't, no, it's not. 
Natalie, I was going to come over to you now and just to talk to get you to talk through a little bit about what what coverage you're going to be doing for for our magazine. Tell us a bit about what your plans are. Um, we're really excited um, to be covering lots of features ahead of the election. Um, we're going to be discussing the voting age, as you've discussed earlier. We've got lots of strong opinions on that. Um, and we're also proposing um, a few panel discussions and podcasts, um, which we hope to um, have swing voters and representatives from each party um, having a debate and a discussion um, on the m what we feel are the most important issues are um, and seeing whether that has an effect on people's opinions. Um, and we're also looking to do lots of online, um, online polls about um, again, what's important to students at the moment? What are the what issues are they going to be voting on, um, and things like that? Okay, thanks very much. Any more questions from anybody? Yeah, go on. Let's have you. Um, hi, I'm Mike. I'm a film and English student at MMU. Um, do you believe that <clears throat> the country has become almost more Americanized in the fact that people are voting more for the person rather than the policies in terms of? how, so for instance, Corbyn has been given a lot of slander due to the fact that he is the Labour leader and for various um, events that have happened in, to do with him in the past. And so there's a lot of, uh, a lot of people that are against voting for Labour just because he is their leader. I think, yeah, I mean, there, there are a couple of obvious things that you could uh, talk about. One would be the kind of presidential style leaders debates which are still actually quite new they seem very familiar I guess to us now because we've had so many elections in the last decade but actually I think 2010 was the first time that we had one and it's still quite a contentious area it's going to be a contentious area now the Lib Dems are already challenging in court the fact that Joe Swinson won't be there it's very likely the SNP will do the same thing for Nicola Sturgeon even though she's not even a candidate in the election um, but that that kind of presidential style I think is one feature that we're, we're moving towards and then I guess the other thing is that the, there's so much polarization and partisanship that we're seeing now in the UK that to some extent does is similar to what's happening in in the states I guess but Johnny you you got much more expertise on this than No than I, would ask, I would agree I, I think the americanization of british politics has been a really damaging thing I certainly think the the idea of having leadership elections was always fundamentally flawed because we do not vote for a leader we vote for parties and constituencies and they form a government and all this kind of complexity this stuff and that's a mistake um, you are not voting for Jeremy Corbyn if you vote Labour and you're not voting for Boris Johnson if you vote Conservative. It's simple. Dave? Yeah, though it's interesting. I must say that actually from the media point of view, we very much focus on personalities. Mm. And uh, very often when, you know, a political leader is deposed, so to speak, within a term, very often the course in the media is, we haven't, uh, the people haven't voted for this person, how can they, you know, how can they be said for electors? So I think it's a real um, sort of schizophrenic attitude in the media mm -hmm. towards, um, obviously because it's good copy actually for us, isn't it? Personalities and, um, you know, especially taking down personalities. So while, yes, we do vote for parties, actually, we write about political people and uh, I think that's only going to harden and deepen. Liz, you and I have both got background at the BBC World Service, um, and you more recently than I. How, what's your take on this? Do you think British politics is changing, becoming more like other places? 
I think the the idea of it becoming more Americanized. I've been in in America for for a couple of elections, covering them from for World Service, and I, I would agree with that idea that this this focus on on leaders um, is certainly for people of our generation does mark a quite significant sea change. I remember there was lots of debate at the BBC in the in the run up to to the debates and how they should be organised and how they should be be reported and things like that. Um, the challenge at World Service is. Always, you know, you're reporting to an international audience, so your challenge is always um, how significant is this election to the rest of the world? And uh, we often report American elections in the minutiae for the global election as if, you know, everybody on the planet had a vote in the American election, which of course they don't, but we sort of report it in that kind of minutiae, don't we? And, and again, with, with it being the BBC, and obviously we have a lot of um, expertise and manpower thrown at coverage of the, of the UK elections, and then the temptation is to treat it as being a, a big global issue for the rest of the world. So what we would try and do at World Service would try to focus on the, um, the more foreign policy issues or, or the really big domestic issues and try and avoid the temptation of following every twist and turn. So we would often have that um, sort of slight pedestal when we would look at how the um, domestic programmes and domestic reporters were kind of running down all these kind of rabbit holes of particular little issues that were, were absolutely huge one day and completely fell away the following day. And also the World Service, we were able to sort of step back and, and take a, a, a much broader broader view and try and look at the at the big trends as well but it's always a a, a challenge when you're reporting a national action for a global audience to make it meaningful mm, yeah so we will be getting down into those minutiae when it comes to um election night um hopefully we will as dave said we'll be reporting from Hopefully a couple of the different boroughs around Greater Manchester. Um, we will also be, almost certainly we'll be covering um, the central Manchester count. We're looking at uh, Oldham, we're looking at Bolton, uh, we're looking at uh, Salford, so we'll, and hopefully Trafford as well. So we will get around the boroughs and we're also exploring the possibility of linking up with some other journalism departments around the UK. Um, we, there's, a, there's a network of other universities that are doing similar kind of work. So it, hopefully we'll get some coverage from Scotland, Wales, Northern Ireland and so on, but other parts of, of England as well. So we'll, we'll keep everybody posted um, as, as we go through that. Any final questions before we go? Leone? No? Um, in that... Oh, yeah, we've got, we've got one more. Come on. Yeah. Uh, I was say, do you think that the Brexit Party's recent announcement that they won't contest um, Conservative seats will make a significant impact on the election? Johnny, what do you think? Uh, I, uh, I think, no, basically. Uh, I think I think the only time they're going to have an impact was by contesting those kind of seats. I don't think they've got much of a chance in in in, in leaning Labour seats whatsoever. I just can't conceive of Labour voters voting for the Brexit Party just because of Brexit. I just think it's more complicated than that. So, I think they've lost their one position really by making that decision. Okay, well, that is a story that we will we'll see on the night. I think it's going to be interesting just to see how whether that happens, whether whether what we saw in 2017, where the other parties, such as UKIP as it was then, um, get squeezed by the, the Conservatives and, and the Labour Party, that's going to be an interesting thing to see. And whether other smaller parties, such as the Greens, for example, who are going into alliance with the Lib Dems and, and Plaid, whether, whether they 
boost that or whether they get squeezed out as well. So it's going to be interesting, and that's all the more reason why all the more reason why we're going to be covering that that on the night. Dave, any kind of closing thoughts from yourself? Uh, just actually look at today's front page of the Sun. The fact that we've just been talking about. They were saying thank you, cheers, Nigel, and uh, help us beat Labour by, you know, not standing in Labour seats. So I'm just thinking, as I saw that Trump page, I thought to myself, do the papers still have, maybe a question for John actually, do the papers still have that defining uh, influence that they claim, you know, that we want it? Uh, I'm not sure. Is is, is the national press, especially print, uh, still a major factor in influencing people's votes? I don't know. I'm not convinced a little bit of you, although I would be slightly interested in why the Telegraph was the launch pad for the Tory election campaign. (laughs) Look, we will come back to that, I'm sure, um, and we'll come back to the election um, at various times, we've we've still got what five weeks to no four weeks to go before um before uh, election day. So we'll, we'll return to this. There are a number of things that we'll be looking at almost certainly. I, I think um about more more stuff about registering to vote. Um, we are encouraging we as members of staff are encouraging all our students to to uh, register to vote. The deadline for that is later on this month. There's lots and lots of information on that. Um, and we're also encouraging students to register in two places if they have that option, um, not to vote twice, but to register in two places, um, because that, uh, well, that's that's your choice, that's your right, and so we want uh, all our students to, to vote and uh, to take part in the election if they if they possibly can. Um, we'll, we'll wrap it up at that. Um, we have been Bang to Rights. Um, remember, you can pick us up on the MMU Northern Quota SoundCloud feed. That's all one word, MMU Northern Quota. You'll also find us on Apple Podcasts and Stitcher, and you can contact us at uh, at Rights Bang. If you've got a view on anything that we've discussed today, or if there's any questions that you've picked up from your lectures or from your reading that you'd like us to pick up in future editions. For the moment, um, thanks very much, Johnny. Thank you. It's great. Thanks, Dave. Thanks, please. Thanks, Liz. Thank you. And thank you all. We have been Bang to Rights. Uh, thanks very much for listening, and we'll see you soon.